Amen. Luke chapter 5, we're starting at the 15th verse. Um, I chose for a title today, Man, Your Sins Are Forgiven. And uh, isn't it a wonderful thing to know that you and your sins are forgiven? I heard three or four amens. I'm going to ask that question again because some people aren't awake yet. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that your sins are forgiven? That the God of our salvation does not hold our sins against us. Once we've come to Christ, Christ paid the sin debt on that old rugged cross at Calvary for us. His shed blood washes us whiter than snow. So when God sees us, he doesn't see us as sinners. He sees us as the ones he redeemed. He doesn't see us as sinners. He sees us as saved through his son. Amen? He doesn't see us as heathens. He sees us as his beloved. We're not those guys. We're his sons and daughters. We are the ones who are in Christ and whom Christ is in us. Amen? You are forgiven. Let's read the first few verses, starting with verse 15. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would, with, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So we have here great crowds of people came. And we have two reasons for which they came identified in these first few verses. They came to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Notice the order that it is, that it is written here. They came to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So Jesus' name and reputation has grown. It says that the report about him went abroad and great crowds, great crowds gathered. So Jesus' name and reputation has grown. His presence generates excitement wherever he goes. Whenever Jesus appeared on the scene, great crowds of people showed up. They didn't show up for nothing. Great crowds of people who had never met him, many of them. Many of them never met Jesus, but they are a part of the great crowds of people who showed up when he was in the area. And they hurried to where Jesus was in order to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Why did the crowd come with such hope and such expectation? 
especially if they didn't know him. Why would they come excited about hearing what he had to say? Why would they come expecting to be healed of their infirmities? It's right there in the verse. The crowd came with hope and expectation because of the report about him. Everybody say report. Another word for report is testimony. Everybody say testimony. A testimony is given by someone who witnessed something. So people who encountered Jesus, who were witnesses to what he said and what he did, went out and gave testimony of what they heard and what they saw. And and that testimony built a hope and expectation. People are like, Oh my goodness, what, what, what was it that he was saying? He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He was letting it be known the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to bring good news. Salvation has come in the person of Jesus Christ. He's come, he's, he's opening blinded eyes. He's opening the deaf ears. He's healing the lame. He is telling people that God is not done with you. He's for you. As a matter of fact, he's made a way of salvation for you because he wants to be redeemed and reconciled with you. He wants you to be redeemed and reconciled to him. And you had people who had lost hope that God would ever have an open heart and open arms toward them. Because they weren't of the religious order. They weren't of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and so forth. The people who looked down on them and shoved their mistakes in their faces every day. The people who looked at the down and outers as though they were more righteous than the down and outers. I'm God's person. Too bad for you, you're not. And you're never going to be. Because you're, you're going to wear that scarlet letter over your head for the rest of your life. And yet Jesus comes and preaches the gospel of the kingdom. And he touches people's lives. He touches their hearts. And he does a work in their bodies. He preached. And he healed. But this this shows the power of the report. You may not be a pastor. You may not be uh, a missionary, you might not be uh, an evangelist or whatever who's, who, who gets to travel all over the place and, and, and deliver the word of God. You may not see hundreds of thousands or, or, or hundreds of thousands brought to the Lord. You may not have the special dispensation of a healing ministry. 
but you have a report. You have your report of what the Lord has done for you. And there is power, there is significant in your, there is significance in your report. Your report can bring excitement and hope and expectation to someone else who needs it. That report needs to be centered in Christ. Right? If you've encountered Jesus, give the report. Give testimony. Be an eyewitness of what Jesus has done. Eyewitness testimony is as good as it gets. Amen? So the report went abroad and people who, and the report contained eyewitness testimonies of people who had encountered Jesus. And it was a two-part report that focused on what Jesus said and what he did. I already said this earlier, but what they heard from Jesus was the gospel of the kingdom preached in spirit and in truth. Not the stuff they were hearing from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, not now, they can give you the letter of the law, but they weren't, preaching the, they weren't preaching the word of God in spirit and in truth. Because if they had, people wouldn't have been condemned. They would have had hope and expectation. And when Jesus came preaching in spirit and in truth, it produced hope and expectation. For the word of God, Ephesians 4 verse 12 says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But the word of God is living, it's active. It, it, it contains an inherent energy that, that is activated by faith. We're always wanting to do something. We think that we've got to have these amazing abilities. Really, what we have to be willing to do is to give the report of what he has done and can do in the heart and life of anyone who comes to him. The word of God will do the work itself. It, it contains power. It is living. We need to let the word do what it does. Let's continue on. It did I want to make one more brief uh, detour, though. Um, the story came to mind as I was studying this. Y'all remember after Jesus died on the cross and the two, there were two gentlemen who were on the road to Emmaus. And they were talking about the events that had just transpired over the last few days. Jesus dying and the religious leaders conspiring against him to get him killed and and unbeknownst to them, Jesus just 
hops into their little walk on the road to Emmaus. And he's asking them, hey, what are you guys talking about? And one of them's like, man, are you the only guy visiting Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened over the past few days? You know? He's like, tell me. And they tell him about Jesus of Nazareth, who, who sent from God to, to, to die for our sins, but the, the, the son of God, a man of God, a great prophet, and how the Pharisees railroaded him and got him murdered on the cross. We thought he was the one who was going to flip the script and, and, and lift Israel up and, and, and put us back on the top of the tears. But he's dead now, and it's the third day. And Jesus finally says to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. It's like, y'all should have been looking at these events and realizing the significance of it. But you're wallowing in your grief. <laughs> you're wallowing in doubt and fear and unbelief. These things reveal the truth of what I've said. You should be rejoicing because the, the, the penalty for salvation has been paid. But, but, but you're not seeing it in spirit and in truth. Right? But here's what I want to talk about. How when you're preaching the truth of God's word, there's power in it. It actually has a way of awakening the heart and, and, and opening our eyes to the truth. I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go there go there real quick. I'm gonna skip down. Yes, it says. So they decided to sit. To, they convinced him to stay and to have dinner with them. They 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 did supper together. When they was at he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, and here's what the word of God, preached in spirit and in truth, can do, can do to you. They rose that same hour and returned. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I skipped ahead. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So what he did was take them to the scriptures that they had been learning for generations. And he opened up to them the truth of those scriptures, what the, the significance of them. And that the fact that those scriptures were pointing to the Messiah, him, and that what had happened before their very eyes was the fulfillment of those scriptures. The Messiah has come. He has suffered what the scripture says that he needed to suffer for the sins of man, and he has risen again. But while he was opening up the scriptures, their hearts burned within them. You know, we don't need persuasive arguments we need to preach the scriptures of God in spirit and in truth. We don't, need, we don't need persuasive arguments. We need to give the report of what the Lord has done for us. Here's where I was pre-Jesus. And here's who I am 
since I've come to know Jesus. Here's who I am in Jesus. Are you hearing me? That was who I am before Jesus. He's made me a new creation. Old things passed away. All things have become new. I'm not who I was before because of Jesus who resides in me. He has changed me. Sin is no longer my master. I've got a new master. And he's the king of kings and lord of lords. Amen? So the crowd has a hope and expectation because of two things. Part one, we've just talked about the word of God that he preached. They, were, they wanted to hear him. That's part of it. But verse 17 says, as we read, that the power of the Lord was with him to heal. This isn't just talking about a specific time when the power was with him. It wasn't a situation where, hey, you better show up now because the power of the Lord to heal is with him today. There's no telling if it's going to be with him tomorrow or the next day or next week. So you better come while the getting's good because you might miss out if you don't come. No, the power of God to heal was on him continually. Wherever he went, people were healed of their infirmities. It wasn't just, okay, Jesus, you can heal today, but tomorrow we're going we, we, to withhold the spirit power to heal. No, it was on him to heal. Uh, the verbiage in this passage by the time we finish, but it lets us know, on um, verse 17 it says, on one of those days as he was teaching. So this includes a multitude of days. They're highlighting this one day, but this is just one day in many days in which the Spirit of the Lord was there to heal, and crowds swelled around him to hear what he had to say. This was going on all the time. And we don't want to lose sight of that. So this is a continual thing, and, and that continues on into today. You don't necessarily have to, during the Sunday service, encounter the healing power of God. You don't have to, just on Sundays, hear the word of God. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't be satisfied with that. You should have an appetite for God's word every day. You should feast on it every day. It should be a desire of yours that exceeds your desire for food to feed your body. And that's a, that's a desire that, 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 that I capitalize on probably more than most. The body gets fed. This one does. More than it should. But our appetite for the word of God needs to exceed our appetite to feed our flesh. Amen? And, you know, none of us are trying to miss meals. Or very few of us. Yet we miss 
opportunities to get in the word of God every day. You know, that, that, that's unacceptable and we cannot be content with that. You know, I, I, I want to drive you, I want to inspire you, I want to encourage you to let you know that, that, that you have to build an appetite for God's word and you need to get into his word and feed on it every day. You want to know his word in spirit and in truth. Let his word be an inspiration to you like it was these crowds in this story that we're reading today. Their motivation wasn't just to be healed of their infirmities. Their motivation was two-part, to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. What he was saying generated buzz. Because it struck a chord in the hearts of people. What, what, what he was saying contained life. It, it, what, what he was saying spoke to the heart issue of so many. That void that, uh, was it uh, Heather or Emily? Somebody talked about that. I think it was Emily. It talked about that hole, that void that only he could fill. They'd been in the presence of religion all their lives, but they had not been in the presence of the Lord. And when they were in the presence of the Lord and heard the word of God spoken in its true context, it resonated to a point that they want to hear that again. I, 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 that tastes good. I want more of that. Let that be true of us. I, I, I'm excited and I'm, I'm humbled and I appreciate uh Whatever excitement exists for hearing me preach the word of God, but it, and, and, and I've been called to God to by God to do this, and 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 I love it. It's 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 what he's he's what he's designed me to do, what he's designed me to be, and I'm here for your edification and to build you up so that you can do the work of the Lord. But but what I'm giving you cannot be the extent of the meal that you eat. From God's word. You're going to need. To take ownership. Of your own. Spiritual meal plan. You're going to have to give yourself. Three spiritual squares a day. And a lot of us struggle. With our identity in him. Because we're not in that which speaks to our identity in him, the word of God. We struggle with how we believe God perceives us and, and his attitude toward us because we're not in the thing that tells us what his heart is toward us and how he sees us. There is clarity of, there's clarity of who he is and how he regards you in his word. There's clarity of who you are in him, in his word. And if you're not in there, you're going you're gonna to constantly be in confusion or double-minded. And you're not going to be strong in your faith and able to walk in the way that he's called you to walk. And it doesn't matter how many people you ask to pray for you. It doesn't matter how many people you ask to come give a word to you. There are things, things you've got to do for yourself in your own growth in the Lord. And I'm challenging you to that. 
Where there's discipline, where you're doing that, I commend you. Where you're not, I'm challenging you because you're not walking in obedience to God in that way. And I wouldn't be loving you if I said otherwise. Let's develop an appetite for his word. Now I got to get back on task here. So this was a daily or a continual thing. Wherever he went, the crowd followed to hear him and to be healed. It says the power of the Lord to heal was continually with Jesus. People got healed wherever he ministered. And the many people who got healed by Jesus and those who witnessed their healing by Jesus told other people about it, hence the report. I can't say it enough, y'all. The testimony of Jesus is powerful. The testimony of Jesus is powerful. You know, we look at miracles in the Bible and we long for wanting those miracles manifest today. And we, you know, we ought to want those to manifest today, but Hey, there are people who who teach this differently, but I can only be who God made me to be. And the way I see it, and y'all are here, so God wants y'all to hear what I got to say. Those miracles that we long for are a byproduct, right? He doesn't want us to seek the miracles. He wants us to seek him, right? He wants us to know his word. He wants us to know him Right? And in his presence, right? In his presence, those things that we, we, we want to see, those, those miracles that we read about in Acts, those miracles that we read about Jesus and the disciples doing, we want to see those because we feel like if people see those, the, the power manifested, that they'll come to the Lord. But not necessarily because the Pharisees and Sadducees saw those same miracles. But they didn't have a heart for God. And they didn't interpret them or receive them the way, they didn't receive them as truth. They didn't receive them the way that they were meant to be received. Right? But the crowd that was there in hope and expectation, see, they were there in a critical spirit. Looking to catch him in in, in something that they could actually accuse him of. So they weren't there to receive or honor the Lord. But the ones who were there with the hope and expectation. Got a real encounter with Jesus. And, and again, we want those, those amazing miracles. But I think that we do this unintentionally. Those things are a byproduct of, I believe, the underappreciated miracle which is salvation itself. To me, there is no greater miracle, (laughs) right, than the salvation of the Lord. There's no greater miracle than the fact that he can take his word 
and he can put it on our hearts and on our minds and, and he can take this sin nature and cause us to die to self to where we're no longer slaves to sin but we're free to live righteously before God. That, 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 that is a miracle that we need to appreciate and we need to, we need to talk that up. That needs to be a part of the report. Right? As we get people to, 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 to hear this, the, the word of God in spirit and in truth, that expectation begins to build. Can God do in my heart what he did in yours? Can God do in my life what he did in yours? Our, your report has spoken to my heart. What you say you've gotten from him, I wonder if that's available to me. I want what you have. There's a lot of people crying out for that. And we think that if an eye gets open, a blind eyes gets opened, or deaf ears get opened, that, that a lot of those people that's going to say, well, I'm convinced. Don't be too quick. I, I'm not talking that down. I'm talking the salvation of the Lord up. Because somebody can get their eyes healed and go to hell apart from Christ. But the miracle of salvation is eternal. No man can take that away. Not even death itself can take that away. And people need hope. They need to know there's something to life beyond what they're experience, what they've experienced so far. And those of us who know need to make it known. Amen. Amen. Psalm 66, verse 16, going along with the theme of the testimony of Jesus, is powerful because it can give hope that leads to salvation. Psalm 66, verse 16 says, Come in here. All you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. Goodness, I love that verse. Come, everybody, here. I want, I, I'm going to talk God up to you. Come in here, all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. Scripture also says in 1 Peter that we ought to be prepared to make a defense or give an account to anyone who asks us why we have the hope that we have. What is your testimony of Jesus Christ? You got one. If you know him, you got one. What has he done for your soul? What he's done for your soul can help another soul. Maybe your history is dark. And it's something that you're ashamed of. Maybe you are or maybe you were ashamed of. But maybe it's not something that you'd like to go back and relive. You, 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 you don't want to go there. You just want to put it in the past and bury it. God doesn't want you to necessarily do that. And I'm not saying everybody's got to go out there and put all their dirt in the street. You do what God leads you to do. But whether he wants you to share it with one person or many people, you need to give the report of what God has brought you out of. 
Only you can tell your story. So what I love about Psalm 66 here, verse 16, is like, hey, come everybody, listen. Let me tell you what God's done for my soul. And if everybody here in this sanctuary had that same attitude that I'm going to tell anybody and everybody who will listen what God has done for my soul. And, and, and I want to, I'm doing it because I want to exalt him, but I want to build a hope and, and give hope to people who need it. I'm going to give you the report, the testimony of what Jesus has done for me. And I want to encourage you that he can do the same for you, whatever it is your past includes. What has he done for your soul? You need to be sharing with others what the Lord has done for you. Just like in verse 15 where it says the report went around, his reputation began to grow, your testimony can help grow the name and reputation of Jesus Christ among those who don't know him. You could even do it amongst those who know him. But your name can help grow his, your report can help grow his name and reputation amongst those who don't know him. Your testimony can help motivate people to want to encounter Jesus for themselves. That's really what we're after, isn't it? Isn't it or is it not? That's what we're after. That's what we ought to be after. And so that brings us to verse 18. A specific individual here. uh, Actually, I'll say individuals. And don't worry, it's going to be something less than an hour and a half. And behold, so Jesus is engaging one of these big crowds of people who came to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. He's in a house, it's packed, standing room only, people can't even get in the house anymore. There are people not only in the house, but people standing outside the house hoping for an opportunity to encounter him. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. So it says here that Jesus saw their faith. He saw it. Let's consider that for a moment. If Jesus could see their faith, that means that genuine faith is perceivable.
The Bible says faith without works is dead. In other words, genuine faith is acted on in such a way that it is evident to the discerning. And it moves the heart of God. Genuine faith is acted on. That's the faith of Abraham. When God said, sacrifice your son, Abraham loaded up his son, took his two servants, and went to go do what God said do. And when he had the knife ready to complete the task, God spoke to him and said, stay your hand. Do not slay your son. Now I know that you love me. Now I know that you have faith in me. I know that you trust in me fully. For you did not withhold your only son, the son of promise, when I told you, when I gave you that command. And so when he talks about the faith of Abraham, it's a faith that fully trusts and fully relies on God. Got it? I got frog in there, Christy. Fully rely on God. There we go. But he says he saw their faith. I'm going to say something here I've I've never uh, heard when this story has been preached to my hearing. I want to give all kinds of credit to the friends that brought him there. He saw their faith. It takes a lot of work. Think about someone, when you're carrying dead weight, (laughs) I got a witness back there in the back there, but It's heavy. It's a heavy burden. And his friends carried that dead weight from wherever their journey began all the way to where Jesus was. And when they got there to the place, it was so packed they couldn't even get to him. And that was an opportunity for them to say, you know what, we tried. It was hard enough getting him here. He cannot in any way help us transport him this is a heavy burden and it's hard work but no they were undeterred they found a way now imagine them taking this dead weight and getting it it's bad enough carrying that dead weight on the ground level somehow they climbed a ladder or whatever it is i don't even know to know how they did it but somehow they got him up on the top of that house opened the roof And dropped him down right at the feet of Jesus. See, that's people who came there with hope and expectation. That's people who came there saying that if we get him in the presence of Jesus, we know he's going to be healed. We get him in front of Jesus. See, that hope and expectation drove drove their motivation to, to, to look for a solution rather than to accept an excuse. Like the woman with the issue of blood, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I could be made whole. But, but don't, I want us, let's, let's not dare shortchange the paralyzed man because when he says he saw their faith, his faith was a part of their faith too. He didn't have use of his legs and he couldn't do the physical work that was required but he had every bit the hope and expectation that the men who carried him there had. Yes, sir. 
And they were in this together. See, you might be paralyzed in some way, but that doesn't mean you can't believe in Jesus. See, we look at the poor paralyzed man and we think that, oh my goodness, his friends were so strong in faith that their faith wheeled him there. No, 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 no. Just as difficult as it is for them to bear him there, it had to be hard on him. The journey had to be equally hard on him. I'm sure he did what he could do to help them bear him up. Not only did they not quit because the crowd made it almost impossible to get to Jesus, he didn't quit either. He had hope. You may be, you may be lame in some way. If not physical, maybe uh, emotional, maybe psychological, maybe you've been scarred by someone or something in life and, and you know what it's like to feel like you're just there. I don't know how I'm going to make it, but it, uh, it might be like the footprints. Jesus may be carrying me, one set of footprints. I may be on my mat and somebody else is carrying me in, uh, in faithful obedience to the Lord. You know, uh, uh, I I can only do what I can do and there's so much that I can't do that I want to be able to do but I am still still strong in believing in Jesus. I still have a hope and an expectation and somebody might have to carry me to him but I am I am undying. I am unwavering in my desire to get to him because I know if I get to him he's going to touch me and he's going to transform my life. He can make me whole. Whether it's a physical issue, whether it's a heart issue, whatever it is, he can make me whole. And, and if I have to go there on my mat, carried on the arms of my brothers and sisters, then so be it. I'm going to get there somehow, some way. Because I have hope and I have an expectation. This man and his friends came there with hope and expectation. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were there. They heard some stuff. They wanted to see for themselves. They weren't there with hope and expectation. But these people were. And it just shows you what you can do if you just have a refuse to quit attitude in the Lord. If you just say, no matter, come hell or high water, come whatever obstacle, I'm going to get to Jesus. Because I know when I get to him, he's got something good for me. Amen? Amen. So I, I really just wanted to point out it wasn't just his friends, it was the paralyzed man whose faith that Jesus saw. He knew that their actions were rooted in faith. They had no doubt that Jesus was going to do something amazing in his life. Uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and move on here. Uh, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Oh, 
Well, we'll get to it. Who is this? He said, and when he saw their faith, I'm sorry, man, your sins are forgiven you. Thank you, Lord. I, I was uh, almost messed up and glanced past that. It didn't say that when he saw their faith, he immediately said, you are healed. He said when he saw their faith, man, your sins are forgiven you. You know what that tells me? It tells me that man who was lying paralyzed on that mat had a history. And maybe that history led to his being on that mat. And whatever that history is, he's struggling with guilt. He's struggling with shame. He's struggling with probably forgiving himself and probably struggling with the idea that God can't or won't forgive him. Let's not forget Let's not be so focused on the physical need when we see somebody with a limp or we see somebody who's in a a wheelchair or on crutches and and we just assume we want to go right to the physical healing. There may be another healing that's needed that God wants to do that work first. When he saw their faith, he says, man, you are forgiven. Jesus, I said a couple of weeks ago that Jesus just didn't do miracles to flex his spiritual muscle. There was a message that he was sending. There was a reason. There was a purpose behind him. And he could have easily said, man, you're healed. He know why they came there. But he said, you're forgiven. He wanted them to know that they could be forgiven. And that he is God's messenger telling those who come humbly seeking forgiveness, your sins are forgiven. He had been given authority by God to forgive sins. And in front of this whole crowd who came there to hear him and to get healed from their infirmities, he wanted it to be known to this man, man, you are forgiven. That tells me that man needed to hear that. I'm not saying he didn't need to get healed. Obviously, he did need that. And obviously, he desperately wanted that. But Jesus saw the inner cry of his heart and knew just as much as he needed and wanted to be healed of his infirmity, he needed and wanted to know that he could be forgiven by God. And Jesus tells him, man, your sins are forgiven. I ask again, you know, what I asked at the beginning or said what I said at the beginning about, you know, how wonderful it is to know that you are forgiven. God has healed me in other ways, but what he did to my heart in healing me from the guilt and shame of my past sins and letting it be known that I can be forgiven, that I can be a man of God. 
and that it was his purpose for me to be so. The difference that that made in my life. The difference it's made in your life. That's going to be the difference, the breakthrough in other people's hearts. To make them, that would be more than likely to inspire them to consider Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Then a lot of the things that we engage in and, and, and hope that they're going to lead to fruit, that they're not really, that those actions really aren't designed to lead to. But uh, this will produce fruit unto the kingdom. Give your report of what Jesus has done for you. Now, he told the man, you are forgiven. And the Pharisees obviously had questions about that. They said, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now, I have often read that, see, I picture this confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees, and, and he said that they're ministering with one, on one hand, and, and he's just thumbing his nose at, it, at the Pharisees on, with his other one, right? He's, he's there being petty toward the Pharisees, like. But notice, he only engaged or responded to them when they engaged him. This story can be told without them even being present in the story. They don't have the relevance that we like to give them. Right? So if you, if you can remove them from the story, you know, it looks like in my mind, he was like, but that you may know the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins as though he's doing it as a retort to the Pharisees. But they got hard hearts. They're not going to hear or receive what he has to say anyway. He's talking to the ones with open hearts. He's, that, that what he's saying means more to the paralyzed man than it does to the Pharisees. He's the one that needs to hear the truth that Jesus is about to share. And those witnesses that are there, that are there to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, need to hear what he has to say. Their hearts are ready for it. He's the one they're really addressing. The Pharisees don't matter here. Right? So let's not look at this as some petty response to the Pharisees. Let's look at it as meat that he is feeding to those who are there for the right reasons with the right heart. So he addresses them, which one is easier? But then he goes back and addresses the crowd. But that you may know, you paralyzed man, you friends who brought paralyzed man, you, the rest of y'all here with the right heart to hear me and to receive what I have for you so that you all may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. So we see that the healing miracle is tied to the revelation that he has the authority to forgive sins. And that's what he wanted the paralyzed man, his friends, and the rest of the crowd to know. One, that God has a heart to forgive you. 
I'm here as his messenger to tell you that. And he has given me authority to forgive you of your sins. Amen? That's a good report. And so that you may know. Now I'm going to say pick up your bed and walk. You know what I really want you to know right now. You're forgiven by God. You can be forgiven. You come to him with a humble heart. Surrender to his authority. You are forgiven. And you can be healed. They came to hear and to be healed, right? Well, they heard he has the authority to forgive and they saw this man healed. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. You know, I have other verses. I'm going to stop it right here. But notice, after Jesus does what he does, the glory went to God. We just walk in obedience to the Lord and give the glory to God. When people encounter Jesus in a real, intangible way, God is the one that gets the glory. That man left. Jesus just healed him. Jesus was used by God. Jesus laid hands on him or Jesus spoke healing on him and he was healed, but he ran up out of there with his maddened hand looking to heaven glorifying God. You can lay hands on the sick and they can be made well. You can give a word of encouragement, a word of hope. You can tell your testimony, give the report of what God has done for you. But, but, but the result that we're looking for is that people will look to God for their own hope, for their own life for their own direction, for their own salvation, that they'll see what he's done for you and want the same experience with God. These people were amazed. They glorified God. It's okay. They were filled with awe. And they said, we have seen extraordinary things today. Uh, Levi, would you Man, your sins are forgiven. If you're struggling here today, you're beating yourself up over sins that you've committed, or the devil's hitting you over the head with it, and your confidence is shaken. You're wondering if how real your experience was. You know, why aren't you? More mature in your walk with the Lord or uh, why aren't you sin free? You know, uh, we're all a work in progress. But 
I believe the thing that that you need to be challenged on is really uh, uh, what are your habits? We're all supposed to be a disciple of Christ. What are your disciplines? Are there any disciplines? Maybe you're struggling not because your experience wasn't real, but because of your lack of being definite in the things of God. Like I said earlier, maybe you don't know who you are in Christ because you're not reading the word of God and, and discovering who you are in Christ. I'm going to ask the elders to come up.